leadership, leadership, leadership. Here at the Empowerment Zone, we recognize the importance of leadership in social impact. Leaders are at the forefront of change. They influence individuals and they influence the organizations they lead to create the change we want to see in our communities and world. In my work in empowering nonprofits and companies to make their unique social impact in their communities, I stress the importance of leadership. And today I have decided to republish my conversation with Richard Martinez from the Empowerment Zone archives. Richard discusses the valuable communication skills that leaders must develop in order to institute change. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone with Ramona Houston, where we zone in on black and brown relations and our journey to empowering our communities. Richard is founder and president of the R.J. Martinez Group and co-founder of Lideramos. Lideramos is a national leadership alliance dedicated to creating leadership programs for Latinos across the country. Enjoy our conversation and see show notes for more information about Richard. As always, please subscribe to the Empowerment Zone podcast and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate your continued support because you are the ones that ensure that we continue our journey in empowerment and impact. We have a lot of challenges going on in the United States, in the world. And that is why we need a topic such as the leader as healer and uniter. And that's why I am so excited to have Richard J. Martinez as our guest for today. He's gonna tell us all about the importance of leadership in bringing people together and healing our uh, nation and world. Richard Martinez has over 40 years of experience in the field of housing, human relations, and civil rights. He is an accomplished facilitator, trainer, and distinguished organizational development practitioner. He is president of RJ Martinez Group, a consulting firm that specializes in change management, capacity building, leadership development, and housing and economic development. He is co-founder of Lideramos, a national leadership alliance dedicated to creating Latino leadership programs across the country. Um, Richard also assists the Latino Policy Forum in Chicago with uh, the Multicultural Leadership Academy designed to promote Black-Brown communication and collaboration. Welcome, Richard. Ramona, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. So. I am really happy to have you as a guest today. I uh, This is a topic that um, we really, really need to explore as a country. As you know, we have a new president. Uh, it's uh, And he's just a few weeks in office. So this is the beginning of his second full week in office and one of the things that he promoted is that he would be a uniter uh, of this country. 
But um, before we get started on your topic, the leader uh, as healer and uniter, um, could you please tell our audience a little bit about you and your background so we can get to know you personally? Uh, yeah, I, I basically I was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas to a Chicano father and a British mother who was a war bride. And uh, I've had basically three careers in my life. Um, my first career was in housing and in the field of housing, I started my career as a janitor and ended up as the chief executive officer of a large public housing authority in California. My second career involved independent consulting. I was asked by many colleagues after I retired, would I come and help them? So I did, and as a result of that, I founded the RJ Martinez Consulting Group because that's what I do now is help others. And then my third career is when I did first retire, I went back to one of my original passions and that was the arts. So I opened up and operated an art gallery in San Antonio, Texas for uh, 11 years. And the purpose for operating the gallery was to create a venue for emerging Latino and African-American artists to have a place to show their work. And so that's been my three careers. And right now I'm, I'm just in a position in life where I wanna make a difference. I wanna to continue to support others who wanna make a difference. And I want to help, you know, as much as I can, individuals assume the leadership position that they rightly deserve in this country. Wow, very impressive. Uh, and also San Antonio, my goodness, that's one of my favorite cities, <laughs> my favorite cities in the U.S. As you know, I'm a Texan and uh, uh, I have my grandfather, actually, my paternal grandfather came of age in San Antonio. He's actually from the Bernie Fredericksburg areas where oh, yeah. your family's from. Hill country, as we call it. Mm -hmm. Yes, he's from the hill country. And um and to hear that you have a background in terms of housing, consulting, and the arts is very interesting. That's an interesting collaboration yep. <laughs> of careers. Yeah, so uh, let's move on to your topic, uh, the leader and heal the leader as healer and uniter. What is your perspective about leadership and leadership development? Yeah, well, I'd like to go back to something you said early on when you talked about the fact that we have a new administration and that the president-elect, or the, the president now, is committed to, to unifying the country. But he also said something else. He said he's committed to uniting the country, but he's also just as equally committed to ending systemic racism. And in, in my perspective, the two are inseparable. You know, the, you can't just talk about unity without talking about systemic racism. And leadership has the challenge of trying to figure out how to bring the two together in a way that makes sense for people to want to unlearn and undo the messages that they've been bombarded with for the last four years. Now that, that becomes a challenge, uh, Richard, because uh, you said unlearn and undo. Right. Everybody doesn't want to do that. Every, don't you have to be a willing uh, participant in that process? Uh, our president and his administration could do all they want to do in terms of ending structural raci racism, but don't you need people to want to come along? 
and to decide that they want to change the way they think and the way they act. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But the way I look at it, you know, and, and one of my favorite poets is Langston Hughes because he keeps everything, you know, he breaks it down to a point where it's a very simple message to understand. So let me just try to simplify it here. One, it's not a matter of me wanting you undo because that's a personal choice. I cannot control you, what you think, or what, what you, your behavior will be. I mean, I learned that a long time ago. You know, you can't help somebody who doesn't want your help. Mm -hmm. But I, I did know, I do know the importance of a message and the repetition of a message and the communicators of that message. For example, believe it or not, I used to smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. And, what, and, and while I was smoking all of these cigarettes, my daughter in her school was engaged in a public education campaign about the harm that smoking does to you and to your loved one. And mm. so when I would come home from work, she would be waiting for me. And she would reach into my pocket, take my cigarettes and crush them in front of me and dare her to say something. So what that taught me is that I didn't want to give up smoking. You know, no way. You know, I'm like the people on the alt-right. You know, hey, this is the way I think. This is the way I am. You know, you ain't going to change me. But the constant reinforcement of a positive message ultimately worked with me. So I'm thinking in terms of leadership, what we need is more people at the vanguard of new messages, of crafting new messages and having the courage and the consistency to repeat them in every arena in which they find themselves. And so to me, leadership is creating a message that helps people understand what systemic racism is, is how it's led us to this great divide how it's a harmful process. And the last thing we want to do is harm ourselves. I mean, the law of self-preservation is very strong. So I see leadership as the, the leadership challenge being one of how do we add value to mainstream leadership theory by talking about a new message? That's kind of where I'm at with this, Ramona. Yeah, I think that's so important, uh, communication and messaging. And one of the things that you stated was very interesting about repetition of that message mm -hmm. to change the mindset. You have to keep repeating and repeating. And, you know, just from a spiritual point of view, that's one of the messages we learn about the importance of affirmation. Like, don't be double-minded. You have to keep telling yourself, right, over and over again, whatever it is that you believe in, right? I am not sick. I'm healthy. I am well. I am whole. And you keep repeating that until you believe it, you yep. know? Yep. And uh, uh, speak things as though they were. And yep. so uh, I think that a lot of us become challenged because we think, it's a one-time process when it's not. Communication is a process of educating over and over and over and explaining the value in order that people will want to participate in, in, in whatever that change is. Right. And it all begins, like you said, with the power of you. It's that internal dialogue you have with yourself. Because the, the person you 
talk to the most in your life is yourself. If you really stop and think about it, it's this internal dialogue that's going on. So if you can incorporate into this dialogue a message that you want to communicate to others as a leader, then it becomes embodying and it becomes a natural part of who you are. And that's how you're able to repeat the message with conviction and passion because it's you. It's become a part of you. So, uh, but in terms of going back earlier to what you said about some people don't want to change, you know, what keeps me going and what, what gives me a belief that it can work is there's people like Derek Black, you know, who was a nephew of David Duke. And, you know, and he wrote the book and he says, hey, all this stuff, I'm not there anymore. You know, I, I had a transformation. You know, everything that I was taught, just when I talked earlier about being bombarded with a relentless torrent of white supremacist messages, it's hard to break that. But can it be broken? I believe it can. But it has to, we have to have many, 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 many people in all our areas of life communicating the same message. That's what I mean by leaders who feel and unite. You make a great point there to say that it doesn't just take one person. You know, we need many, many people communicating a certain message of healing, of uniting, of anti-racism uh, in order to make uh, the most significant impact that we can. Everybody, we need as many people as we can. I know uh, from some of our previous discussions that um, you uh, highly recommend the book, High Fragil uh, White Fragility. Uh, I am reading that now I'm in the final chapters. And one of the themes that comes up in her book is the difficulty of talking about racism and how many um, white people in particular shut down when you wanna talk about racism. So for those of us who are leaders in our communities and wanna be a part of the change and the transformational process of uh, our country and world, what type of strategies would you recommend in terms of facilitating messaging and communication uh, to people who may not always want to receive the message that you're providing them? Two things. One, I learned a long time ago that there's a very fine line between sharing and imposing. If I go in there with the mindset that I'm going to make you believe what I believe, I design failure. And I never believed and still do not believe in designed failure or exercises in futility. So I know from experience that if I try to impose my belief or my dogma on you, the reaction is going to be one of, <laughs> get away, man. Who the hell are you to tell me what to do? You know, so I'm very cautious about how I frame and tone what I'm trying to say. You know, you are the gatekeeper of your own learning. <laughs> if you choose to listen and absorb 
and internalize and process what you're hearing from me because I am voluntarily sharing it with you. And if it takes hold, you know, it's like, like a garden. If it takes hold, just like it did with Derek Black, he internalized it and said, well, you know what? You may be right. But if I impose it on you, if I draw a line in the sand and say, you know, as we begin our discourse, where do you stand? That's why we can't engage in discourse. And I mean, so that's the, the strategy is, first of all, don't try to impose anything on anybody. Be willing to share whatever you feel or believe. And if they don't accept that, that's fine. That's fine. You can't go in there and make them. You can't. I mean, that's just reality. But the, the other thing is, know your history. <laughs> know your history. Know history. You know, uh, in the Multicultural Leadership Academy and in a book by Juana Borda called Salsa, Soul, and Spirit, we talk about Sankofa, this mythical bird. And he's, if you had an image of it, imagine a bird walking forward, but with its neck looking back. So every time that we move forward, we have to be cognizant of what's in the past and how to build on it. So we have to understand systemic racism. You know, as leaders, the challenge is, how do we communicate that? And for example, I tell people that uh, when you talk about leadership, the purpose of leadership was productivity and profit. Productivity and profit. For what purpose? Okay. The purpose in theory was to have a better quality of life and improve living conditions. You know, make life better for everyone because you're a wealthy nation. But when that leadership focused on profit and productivity was in play, let's take the 1950s. America was 90% white. So who was benefiting from that standard of living and that productivity and profit? It wasn't the people of color like us. It wasn't. And so you get very, I had a, a friend tell me once, you know, Richard, you're messing with my comfort zone. And mm -hmm. <laughs> so today, the white population is 59%. So people got very comfortable being the recipient of the benefits of leadership in this country. But now, because of the fact that the color of this country is changing, the fear, the fear of losing control, losing control. What a frightening thought, you know? Imagine if you used to be in the boss and all of a sudden you told you're not the boss. It's scary, that's scary, you know? So how do you deal with that fear? How do you, and especially when that fear emanates from messages that over the years have told you that the new boss is someone who's inferior, who doesn't have the capability to maintain the status quo, 
who is really going to come in and mess up your comfort zone. That's the challenge for leadership. How do we overcome the fear that we know people have about transition and the changing color of this country? The other thing I like to tell people is we need to get to the point, you know, where white people understand that being different doesn't make us deficient. It just makes us different. The problem is that because of those messages, we've been uh, bombarded with judgments and values that have been added to the concept of being different that are very hard to let go of. So don't try to impose, know your history, and, and, and be willing to have the courage to withstand the onslaught that defensive behavior produces when you share things that people don't want to hear. So, uh, I went on a little bit, but I really- No, but, but I'm glad you expanded upon it because um, I guess the fear goes both sides in terms of having the conversation because it, as you just stated, you have to be ready for the onslaught of the defenses that happen when you try to have a certain conversation. But also that people must also be open to receiving uh, the information provided. So it, it, it works uh, both ways in terms of us having the courage to have the conversation with people uh, uh, and also for people who need to hear it, they need yeah. to have the courage uh, to listen. Um, you know, the fear of the change of the country and uh, changing face of the country, if you will, when you look at uh, the demographics and how people of color are becoming a larger and larger group. I guess it, it, it is to your point about losing control. My thing is, you know, just because others have don't mean that you don't have, but I guess it does mean in a way you don't have because all of a sudden, if you level the playing field, yes, other people have the opportunity to excel, right? Other peoples have the opportunity to get in positions of power that were formerly uh, uh, excluded, right. uh, but where they were formerly excluded. So, so my question is going to uh, your topic in terms of being um, the uniner, you know, you, you, you talked about communication as a part of this process and the whole change of the mindset in order to create a transformation. So can you expand on what your concepts are in terms of the healing process? Um, I, I think a lot of times when we talk about social change and, and uh, political empowerment and some other things, so many times we don't look at the healing process that I, I think that's one of the reasons that one of the reasons Martin Luther King stands out so much because his, his whole philosophy of change was also about the spiritual healing, spiritual mm -hmm. healing as well. The foundation of healing is, is you probably well know Ramona, is forgiveness. But we also know that one of the hardest things for any human being to do is forget. 
And so we don't talk. And if you look at any leadership program in this country today, there are no modules dealing with healing and forgiveness. You know, healing and what? What are you saying? Forgiveness? Forgiveness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The foundation of healing is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. From forgiveness comes reconciliation. Mm -hmm. From reconciliation comes collaboration. But how much time in this country, in leadership circles, in leadership theories, do we incorporate concepts of healing and forgiveness and reconciliation? And it's hard to do because if you look back at history, you know, we were proud of our rugged individualism. So we think in terms of an individual rather than as a collective. Juana Bordas in her book, Salsa, Spirit and Soul, says that one of, the, one of the cultural principles of people of color is that we are, an, we are not an I culture, we are a we culture. But if you are thinking about just yourself as a rugged individual, and that's the way you've been programmed, it's hard to embrace a concept that takes you from I to we, because then you're actually being asked to give up a little bit of yourself to change your identity, so to speak. And so in your own way, you feel like you're gonna get harmed because the hardest thing to do is to share that power and that privilege that you've held for so long with someone else. Especially when you have not even had any conversation on healing and forgiveness. So, I mean, that's the foundation of forgiveness. We just need to incorporate it into curriculums and leadership programming throughout this country and begin that dialogue. Otherwise, it's not gonna happen. Um, I like this three-point process of healing, forgiveness, and reconciliation, reconcil but to me, I think it it needs one more factor, and I, I don't know what term to use, but if you look at the people who've been uh, exploited, suppressed, uh, uh, segregated, what have you, just, just taken advantage of, and you, and, and you say that's uh, people of color, then I see the term forgiveness applying more to them, right? To that population who've been wronged, right? But well, what what is the what is the term you would give the population that is actually inflicting whatever um, damage is on those communities? It seems like they should have to go through a process too. And I'm, I'm not sure what that word is. And I know we're talking in, in general terms, you know, just for our audience, this is just a- Yeah, talking about white America. Yes, so what would- what, White America. What the would you- step, The first step in forgiveness for that segment of the population, and it's very hard to do, you gotta forgive yourself for being blind to what is happening. So you're saying forgiveness, okay, I see what you're saying. Forgiveness can be applied in, in different uh, ways, I guess you exactly. could say. Okay. You gotta forgive yourself too, you know? And, and I think that in the book, White Fragility, 
I mean, that's kind of one of the things, one of the points that she's addressing is that <clears throat> you're an active, if you're a white person, whether you be liberal or conservative or whatever, you're an active participant, albeit unknowingly or unconsciously, promoting and sustaining institutional racism. Right. You're causing harm. You're causing harm. But you're also, in many respects, harming yourself. And so once you understand what your role has been, you want to get in a position where you can begin to forgive yourself, you know, for being an active participant, albeit unknowingly, in a process of institutional racism. So, but the bottom line, the bottom line, Ramona, like I said, if we as a country are not engaging in dialogue around these topics, then we're not communicating any new messages. And you and I are talking about it. Your listeners are hearing it. But in the scheme of things, corporate leaders, nonprofit leaders, military leaders, community leaders, everybody in a leadership position should be at the vanguard of initiating these kind of conversations and building it into their leadership development program. That's all I'm saying. That's a good point. And so in our final uh, words, what recommendations, strategies, steps would you present to leaders, whether they're leaders, like you said, in the corporate sector, whether they're leaders in politics and government, or whether they're community leaders or just leaders in their homes, what recommendations would you provide for them to be uh, healers and uniters in their environments? I would simply tell them that we are all, for the most part, products of mainstream leadership theory. And that leadership theory was developed in a different time, in a different era for different people. As leaders, we are saying now that there are cultural values and cultural beliefs and cultural principles that people of color have through life experience that add value and enhance mainstream leadership theory. Open yourself up to trying to, you know, expand your leadership knowledge rather than to rest solely on the mainstream leadership theories you've been taught over the past. So that's what it's really all about is understanding that people of color enhance our value to mainstream leadership theory. If you're willing to do that as a leader, then you're gonna expand your leadership effectively. And so that would be my, my strategy is incorporate that into all leadership programs. Those are two great ideas. Understand the value uh, that uh, people of color bring to the table in their leadership uh, concepts and ideas, uh, and also expand their concept of leadership to include those ideas as well as other more innovative ideas. Right, because we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, you know, there's. There's a lot of good Main Street leadership theory, but we can make it better. Yes. We can make it better. People of course can make it better if you listen to it. 
if you understand us and understand our history and our pain, mm-hmm. you can learn a valuable leadership message. But not enough people are talking about it. We need more people to incorporate into their daily dialogue with others. Well, thank you so much. This has been a very insightful and valuable conversation, the leader as healer and uniter. And I really appreciate you joining me, Richard, here on the Empowerment Zone. Thank you so much. If people want to uh, contact you, how can our audience get in touch with you? Uh, the best way to contact me is with through my email, rjmartinezgroup at gmail.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. So uh, you can just look, look me up on LinkedIn. I purposely don't have a website. I mean, too much work to keep one up. <laughs> and I'm retired, remember? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's RJ. Martinez with a Z. With a Z. Group. Group. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. Well, thank you so much. Uh, It's a delight to have you on the show. Thank you. My pleasure, Ramona. Thank you for inviting me. A special thank you to the incredible team of the Empowerment Zone. Terry Gully, theme song. NADWorks, digital support, and of course, our featured guest, 